Welcome to Charmed Life, a radio show discussing spirituality, magic, and the unconditional love of the universe. Thanks for tuning in. And I am your host, Trisha Carr. Welcome to today's episode. I'm so excited about today. The intention is very high and very aligned, and I am so grateful that you have joined your attention and intention with this program, with this episode today. And I want to remind you that you can watch it on my uh, live broadcast window on my website, trishacarcharm.com. Just go to where you find it saying uh, podcast and media, and you'll be able to watch it there live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific. And then, of course, you can catch it archived on and also live streamed on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Trisha Carr. And the podcast is available in just about every podcast platform you can imagine. Charmed Life with Trisha Carr. Thank you so much for subscribing, liking, sharing, commenting, and again, joining your light. And I'm very excited about today's episode because I have a wonderful guest that I am learning so very much from. And I know that you all are as well in the various ways that we are learning from one another on that higher plane. Today, I am welcoming on to Charmed life. Paul Selig, he is considered to be one of the most foremost spiritual channels working today. As an author and medium, Paul has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its divine nature. Paul's books are channeled literature and include the most recently released book just this August of 2019, the book entitled Beyond the Known, Realization. Welcome to Charmed Life, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to just get into it all. And, uh, you know, I have read a little bit and heard a little bit about how you got mm-hmm. started in this. You have, I think you have one of those stories that sort of has pre-awakening because you, having been in academia, and there's obviously a lot of uh, evolution and awakening in education <laughs> and in that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And But do, would you like to share with folks how this channel, well, I guess about your style in case they haven't heard about you yet, or mm-hmm. and uh, just how all this work has un- been unfolding for you? Well, I mean, my style is odd. I'm a conscious channel, and when I channel, I whisper the words as they come and repeat them, and sometimes a mile a minute. So <laughs> I'm not the, the most graceful um, example of channeling out there, but it seems <laughs> effective. Um, they've delivered now eight books through me. The seventh just came out last week. Wow. How this came to be was unexpected. I'm not somebody who necessarily put a great deal of stock in channeling. I'm not a very good new ager. I never really was. But when I was 25, after a life of pretty much atheism, I hit a wall. I began to ask for something more. And I got an answer. And um, Shortly thereafter, I had an experience of energy that people later said sounded like a spontaneous Kundalini awakening or Shakti. I really don't know what it was. It was an experience of energy moving through my body and out through the top of my head. Mm. And I may just have been hyperventilating, truthfully. <laughs> I really, I may never know what it was. <laughs> but I started seeing little lights around people after that. And mm. then I studied a form of energy healing. And I was volunteering at a center for people um, with life-challenging illness um, in lower Manhattan that was begun in response to the AIDS epidemic. This mm-hmm. was those years, those very hard years. And I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I began to hear things for them clairaudiently, which mm-hmm. was the beginning of opening up as a channel. And then I did a group in my apartment that met for about 18 years. Wow. Very quietly. Yeah, where I would gather, we'd sit in the energy. There was always an energy that would come through 
when I was working. I was far more interested in the energy, this was so palpable, than I was the information, because the information was coming through me, and who the hell was I? But um, finally, after about 18 years of this, the guides began lecturing through me and then dictating books, and that's what they do now. And there's, you know, they dictate them fast over really, there's no book that's taken, I think, more than 30 days of sittings. The first one took two weeks, two weeks and two days. Now it might be 30 days spread out because the last three books have been dictated entirely in front of audiences and students. Um, you know, that's just how these guides are working. And my job, truthfully, is to show up and be the stenographer. So I don't consider myself an enlightened being. You know, I show up, I do the work that's before me as best as I'm able. And um, I've left academia, so this is what I'm doing now. It's been about four years. I was at NYU for 25 years on the faculty, and I was at Goddard College for 18 of those running a graduate program. So, yeah, I was steeped in academia, teaching in a lot of ways was my spiritual practice while I was in the classroom. And I guess it all has been translated into this work that I do now you know, with the guides that come through and teach through me. Well, I think that the background in so much academia and, and so much language is a, a really ripe a really fertile ground for the guides to work from because they use, you know, what we have available to us. So I think they have quite a lot to utilize in <laughs> in the well, the mind, the overall mind that you hold. Yeah, they do. They do. They do utilize it. Although, you know, in the last book, they used a word I didn't know, and I refused mm -hmm. to say it because I didn't know it, and I was concerned that it wasn't a real word. And you know, the deal with all of these books is I don't get to go back and change anything. Mm. So when they used the word penumbra, and I was like, what the hell is that? It's actually a word. It was the perfect word for their chapter. And in the manuscript for the book, it says, the guys are saying Paul is hearing a word, and he's refusing to say it. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's, it's actually with an asterisk. We footnoted that the word was penumbra. And then they use one word that's not a word that should be a word. They use the word counterance, as if it's contrary to encounterance to it's not a word i don't know what the proofreader is going to say once they get it you know but <laughs> you know so they work with my vocabulary but they actually seem to have a larger vocabulary than i do and occasionally they use words that meant one thing in the 1500s and mean something else now so i get you know i, I end up looking them up you know or the, the copy editor says this isn't the right meaning for the word requiem and you look it up and it was you know wow. a little while ago but yeah, I mean, they do use my memory. They mm -hmm. use my being, you mm -hmm. know, but I really do experience myself as the radio that's in a broadcast that's a little bit beyond my comprehension sometimes. Well, and of course, we're talking about all the many different levels of awareness, consciousness, understanding, and some of it is some of it is uh, conscious to us and some of it is unconscious or subconscious to us and tele telepathic. It mm -hmm. strikes me that the word counterance, maybe it is a kind of new word, or maybe it's even a very, very old word. It, it, could, it almost is like it's a portmanteau of counter and, you know, adding the ants to the end of yeah. it. And, yeah, and, yeah. It, yeah, it's very possible. Uh -huh. We'll find out. I haven't submitted that manuscript yet. Like, <laughs> I can't wait until somebody in the, the copy editing department says, what do you actually mean? And the rule is I don't change it. So, Well, I was wondering that. How, how does it get edited? I mean, do you just say... It doesn't get edited. 
the only thing <laughs> but they go through the for- formality of it anyway of you saying no to them yeah. <laughs> oh, they, the, the punctuation i okay. mean i used yeah. to transcribe the, the recordings myself and i'm so grateful there's a woman who volunteered oh. and she's done the last few books and she does a lot of the lives it's actually now we send things off to a firm and this other that just does it they don't mm-hmm. know what they're typing they're just typing and mm-hmm. then somebody was familiar with the book can go back and just double check it for, for right. mostly punctuation mm-hmm. um, because the guides are dictating books and they use, you know, I mean, I don't even know how to use a semicolon properly, but there's <laughs> M dashes, semicolons. Sometimes these paragraphs go on forever. Right. So are there run on sentences and, and you don't correct yeah, those? I mean, I've been reading it, but I haven't noticed. Supposedly. Yeah, I haven't I've noticed any. And I, because I hear in fragments, you know, I'm hearing phrase, 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 phrase. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if the whole thing makes any sense until mm-hmm. I see it transcribed. Well, and that, I hear it without, you know, I can see it without the repetitions. I, that was actually a question I have. So I actually am a hypnotherapist as well. And so uh, as you as you were saying, you're a conscious channel. And mm-hmm. so just to explain that to folks, there are conscious channels, ones who are really aware, uh, more aware and more present when they're receiving the message and then others that go deeper into state or and, um, you know, altered state and meditation or hypnosis as we understand it. And it, but in the state and in channeling in general, a lot of time amnesia tends to be, um, you know, a component of it. So do you have amnesia or are you pretty fully a, a conscious... Uh, no, you know, entirely. I remember. I remember maybe a third of what I've said okay. Okay. after a session. Mm-hmm. Um, something may jump out and startle me, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and I may question it. And I've been known to question the teachings that come through me. I mean, if the yeah. guides I work with said the moon is made of green cheese, I'm going to say, "What does that mean? And yeah. Why are you saying this?" And they're going to have to unpack it. Mm-hmm. So I'm receded. My consciousness is receded. Right. My little meditation to do this is I tend to imagine myself climbing into the back seat of a car mm-hmm. and turning the steering wheel over. And on a really good day, I'm reading a magazine in the back seat, and I'm fairly ignoring what's being said. When I'm reading for somebody and working psychically, I can sit in the front seat with them, and we can go back and forth. Because sure. when I work psychically, I'm working in a different way than when I'm channeling. Yes, um, we call that yeah. an externally directed trance <laughs> when you're doing okay. something that's... Uh, that's actually it's interesting to me because... I, I, not necessarily everyone kind of distinguishes it conscious or unconscious mm-hmm. channel. Yeah. It's, but essentially, there is very, I think there's very little difference, except that people that would be more deeply classified as an, an unconscious or subconscious channel is that they really entirely, well, for example, um, Edgar Casey, he would have been very unconscious because yeah. he went yeah, totally, he was yeah, he was asleep. He was probably really in the theta state and mm-hmm. not really present himself at all. So, yeah, I guess we, we kind of bridge that. I think it's really what, in, bra- in the perspective of brainwaves, it's really in the alpha-theta crossover stage, and that's what channeling and creative expression in general tends to be. You know more than I do. You know, I'm not a trained channel. <laughs> I had no idea how this was happening. It's probably better. <laughs> when, I was a, when I was a playwright, when I was very young, I used mm. to put one piece of music on loop for mm. hours, and I was inducing trance yes. without knowing that I was doing that. Mm. And that's the state that I wrote from. So you are, so a, tra- I, you are a trained channel then. You trained yourself <laughs> with I that music. I what I was doing. You know, I just <laughs> thought I was getting out of the way a little bit and allowing mm-hmm. creativity to come through. I do tend to make a distinction mm-hmm. um, between channeling and inspiration because Mm -hmm. channeling is very specific to me. It really is about rendering clearly exactly what I'm being told. It's not about sort of 
getting to put my spin on it or yes. go back and fix it, you know, and which mm -hmm. as a, if I was a creative writer, that would be fine. You have your craft mm -hmm. and inspiration comes and you learn how to craft it. And in this case, it was important to me that the books be the authentic renderings from the guides. I think there may be three words changed in a manuscript, and those will be words that I either mispronounced because I was speaking so fast mm -hmm. or dropped entirely. Like I would drop an article in a sentence because it's coming so very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But that's my, my way of doing it, not I, everybody else's. Well, I mean, I, I, think that's, I think that's wonderful. And that to really make it such a pure, you know, just like pure nectar from the font. And and actually, interestingly, just this morning, I was asking some questions of my guides and channeling mm -hmm. the, the um, for myself, channeling the, the answer. And their description mm -hmm. was very much about the sort of call and response, and mm -hmm. which would be more along the lines of the inspiration, as you're saying, or reading, because as you read, you ask a question, then you listen, yeah. then you translate, and you could edit yeah. or mm -hmm. use some skill that has been learned yeah. in order to mm -hmm. shape it. And that's all lovely yeah. as well. It's, it's sort mm -hmm. of stepping. They're like almost two different steps of exactly. the creative yeah. or inspired process. Yeah. Yeah. I like reading for people because I get to interpret. It's fun. I get to interpret feelings and images and, you know, gestures and all of those things. So, um, you know, that's a, that's what I do, but when I'm channeling, I just don't get to do that. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a little more boring. I do think of it actually as sort of stenography. Hmm. Well, you, you do in your sessions, a lot of the ways that you teach, you do the channeled portion and then it comes yeah. period. And then you open it up to Q and a, which tends to mm -hmm. be more readings. Is that about accurate? Yeah, well, it's just what I do in the live streams. Mm -hmm. And when I do workshops, workshops it's too. a combination of both. But in workshops, they're doing a lot of energetic attunements. They're really getting people working with the energy mm. in, in very practical ways. So it's interactive. It's not just passive and listening. I love um, the attunements so much. So very okay. powerful. Really, really wonderful. I, I've been... I have been walking. You know what has been helping me correct my posture lately is I know who I am in truth. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. actually helping me with my with my skeletal alignment. <laughs> it's really amazing. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah. I, and the sorry, I interrupted. Interesting. They're, they're, you know, the guides say we're all radios. We're always in mm -hmm. broadcast. And the attunements are just aligning the radios that we are to play the higher broadcast. And that does seem to be inclusive of form. They don't They don't dismiss it. You know, it's a part of who we are and needs its own alignment. And when did you start doing the readings? Was this during the 18 years in your living room with the channeling and sitting no, in the energy? Funnily enough, I decided to stop it. I got fed up with all this stuff probably when I was about 34 for a year or two. Mm -hmm. um, I just decided, you know, I was, the New Agers were just right driving me crazy. And, you know, there was a fair amount of, of sort of spiritual materialism flying mm -hmm. around in those days. And yeah. I remember all those poor people in that Heaven's Gate cult work going oh. off after some comet, and I just went, this is all so nuts. Mm. And I just wanted to get a partner. I wanted a relationship, and I wanted to go see if I could still write something mm. creatively. And I stopped for a little while. And um, the good news was my ex, at the time when my ex found out I could do this, because I wasn't forthcoming originally, my ex used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides <laughs> that. And I found myself having to read all the time because I was captive in the apartment. And, um, you know, that's what I did. So that was how I began to open up as a reader. I'm odd. You know, they call me a medium for the living because I can step into people that are living and I may take on their 
you know, their their facial expression. It's just, it's, as you said, it's telepathic communication. Mm-hmm. I'm just hearing them. Mm-hmm. People who are dead on the other side, I don't hear them in the same way. Sometimes they'll come through, mm-hmm. but I can't predict that. But if somebody still has a body, I can be really effective, including, you know, people in comas and people with mm-hmm. locked-in syndrome and children who've not spoken, you mm-hmm. know, and have, have grown without speech. I seem to be able to hear an aspect of them that can be helpful, and, and often it's quite it's verifiable, it's provable stuff. So I like doing that work. I think that's great, great help to people. And it's also fun to embody other people's lives that way. I actually, yeah, I have a question about that. You know, um, with, the, you know, I teach, I do a lot of teaching of people how to open up their uh-huh. abilities or psychic intuitive abilities. And, and generally speaking, because a lot of people that are newer to awakening or you know they're coming they're still in their healing process yeah. and we, we generally teach them to and it's also in the spirit the old spiritualist tradition not that I studied mm-hmm. spiritualism but we generally try to teach people to really only read as someone if they if we have their explicit consent now I've seen your readings and they're amazing and your intention is so very high so mm-hmm. do you ever have any energetic maintenance when like let's say Susan is asking for a reading about her friend Jack or her boyfriend Jack and tapping into Jack is it yeah. the, I, actually I guess my question is more along the lines is it Jack's small self higher self a combination like how do you perceive that different levels okay. I'm very clear with people that I'm not a psychic spy you know? <laughs> yeah that's great yeah you know but, Coast, the coast to coast AM show mm-hmm. and some guy got on the phone and says, I want to know if my wife's having an affair. And I'm going, I'm not going there. This guy <laughs> probably has a shotgun in the house. I'm not going there. Yeah. And I don't go there. But mm-hmm. I can, you see, we're all connected anyway. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm very clear on my boundaries around this stuff. Mm-hmm. But we're always in communication. Mm-hmm. I just am able to give it language. Mm-hmm. So if I tune into somebody and they're, they're stuck in a relationship, or the relationship that's not working for them, I'll first turn into them and then I can tune into the partner. And what mm-hmm. I can actually do is broker a conversation that's happening at a much higher level that can often work things out. So relationships are healed that way. Mm-hmm. My guides are pretty explicit and I'm pretty explicit. I don't tell people what to do. That's mm-hmm. not my work. Um, and, you know, mediumship, as I understand it, is is really becoming the object of inquiry. And when I'm reading, I'm becoming others. I'm stepping Mm -hmm. into them. You know, the work that I do, I've been told again and again by the guides, you don't really require permission because you're working at a higher level. You're not, you're you're agreeing to the divine self, the Mm -hmm. truth of who the person is. Mm -hmm. But I have done readings where I've stepped into people and they said, I'm sorry, I'm not talking to you. And I go, okay, and I honor that. Well, the higher self can certainly pr- ask for us to not connect with them. I mean, you know what I mean? Like from that perspective, because it's meant for them to work it out amongst the small self well, and the high self or whatever you want to call it, you know, Yeah, you know, but it's, it's a funny thing. I mean, I'm clear on that, too. I mean, I'll read for somebody who says, you know, my my son's a drug addict and I, I want to know how to stop this and fix mm-hmm. this. And I tune into the son and he's on his path. He's learning in his own way. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's going to have to go through his own process. I may be able to support the parent and how to deal with the situation in a high way. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I don't tell people what to do at that level. Right. So I don't, I, it's funny, I don't know, nobody's asked me this for a while, but it's actually very much a feeling of, of being in conversation with everybody that I'm mm-hmm. tuning into. Mm-hmm. I actually feel that everybody's aware of it at a higher level, mm-hmm. you know. I, I completely there. agree. I, I telepathic. I've done, I, I telepathically communicate with others and I've mm-hmm. seen it unfold, 
you know, but it, it's again, it's about your, it's about the energy and the intention that you're holding about it. So you yeah. are going in with the, with on a certain level or dimension of asking permission. And then, like you said, you get, you get denied that permission every now and again for, for the people that I'm teaching that are just kind of coming into it where just to be extreme, they may be wanting some rescue and, you know, that kind of thing. I tell them that we do have something called the public broadcast that we all easily connect on and have permission Mm -hmm. to. And then, of course, there's that higher frequency that we can only access with the higher self anyway. So I don't know, having to put boundaries around it, we always see things too simply anyway. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I just know that in my own life, you know, if I'm dating somebody and they say, are you tuning into me? I go, absolutely not. It wouldn't even occur to me. Right. It might occur to me if I'm getting stood up in a restaurant to tune in and see if the person was actually on their way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> were okay, but then I'm acting a bit more selfishly. But I really, you know, feel that with this stuff, you really can't misuse it. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, I mean, my old teacher from years and years ago used to say, you get a psychic spanking. Mm-hmm. And I've had some whoppers in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm respectful of the energy that comes through. And I'm also very respectful of the opportunity of the ability or the skill set or whatever has been developed through me to be of service to other people. I completely agree. that's how it developed. And I never, I didn't get into this stuff. I meet people and they want to open up, they want to channel. And I say, why do you want to do it? Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, it's never gotten me a date. It's never gotten me, you know, stuff. It's, it's, it's not, it's always in service to somebody else. Mm. And if people are looking for, you know, a pipeline to the lucky numbers or to getting what they want, they're going to attract low level astral stuff. And that's where you're going to that's if you want to play there, you can. But it's not the highest way to be operating because the hire is also available. That's how I, I, I perceive it. I think that it is it's kind of uh, because when you're working in the energy of psychic energy or non-physical energy, you're you're working with the whole system. And mm-hmm. I think this is yeah. probably why governments haven't really been able to, at least not to a, a large degree, weaponize psychic phenomena. Because even if if you have malintent, and that means that you aren't working, you aren't connecting co- with the whole system, then you will get the psychic spanking or the field will correct you. It's yeah. not sustainable. You will you can't but recognize it's not some feely, happy thing like, oh, everybody loves everybody. You just are one yeah. in that energy. And so yeah. there is you can't really sustain harming another if you recognize if you're truly working in that energy. I mean, that's my feeling. You know, I have this odd thing and it just, you know, it's 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 I guess it comes with being, you know, empathic or clairsentient. But when somebody's talking crap about me or really angry at me, I feel it. Right. And, you know, that old thing people say your ears must have been ringing. For me, it can be like I got a poker in the ear. Usually mm. with a man, it's the right side. Female, it's the mm. left side. Yeah. It's really accurate. I just don't know who's doing it. So mm. I call another psychic guy now and saying, who's giving me the hard time? <laughs> but the very first time I was seen channeling on on some cable show, um, you know, nobody knew what I did. And I do it in a very odd way. And then this person cut up the interview into like little three minute YouTube clips where I looked really nuts because there was no context or explanation for how I worked. Just this big man rocking and whispering and repeating in this crazy English accent. And the the rebound was immediate and nasty. Mm. And you know, people don't censor themselves in their comments on the internet. And I felt it all so I went to bed, you know, and I said to the guides I work with, I said, you know, if you want me to do this stuff, why are you letting this happen? And their response was, well, as long as you care what people think about you, this is going to be an issue. Mm. My job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's my job to 
so to detach from that, you know, I can't to have the I, resilience, right? Pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, and to and to learn to lift above it because right. nothing we can't claim anything that we're not in an energetic accord with, and that includes, you know, all that stuff, such as it is. One time, I I um, I communicate. Oh, we all do, of course, but you know, with nature and animals, it's part of my uh-huh. job, part of what I do as a you know, yeah. practice. And I was on a hike and there was this big, lovely tree, beautiful tree. And it had carved on it, this big, large branch coming off of it, a name. And the name was Lomeli. And it was carved in really deeply into the bark. And I, I said to the tree, I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, like on behalf of humanity that this happened to you. And the tree sort of gently and lovingly corrected me and said, no, no, I, I healed I, re- I gave healing when that happened, you know, like even if it's negative on this small self level on this, this 3D, if you want to call it level, they're still receiving whether, whether it changes their life in that moment, they're still receiving some kind of healing if they're yeah. expressing the pain inside of them. And it's, it's hard to live there sometimes though, <laughs> right? Yeah, it is. We're not superhuman. Well, so that's that's really fascinating. And so do you uh, let's let's um, so you you started doing the reading. It sounds like you kind of started reading because your partner was asking for it. And then it started to extend out. Yeah. to. Um, well, then, you know, I was doing these little channeling thing groups in my apartment and people mm-hmm. started to ask if they could come by and just talk to the guides. That's mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. And I said, OK. And they gave me a couple of bucks. You know, I said, OK, if you want to do that, that's fine. And what was interesting, there was a woman who came to me, and I guess my eyes were closed, and she she mentioned her father's name, and I probably repeated it. And all of a sudden, I heard her gasp, and I opened her eyes, and she said, you started to look just like him. Oh. She was very disturbed, and then I found out I could do it every time. Mm-hmm. And then my stepping into people was something that was, it had a somatic, I don't know if it's physical mediumship, I don't even know what to call it, but you know, when I channel in front of groups, my eyes often go bright, bright blue, and I have dark eyes. I have hazel eyes. Wow, cool. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I haven't seen it, but it's been reported so many times that I just have to go, okay, yeah, my eyes turn blue mm. when I'm channeling, you know, when they're doing, sometimes they'll just, they'll do attunements where they just stand in front of each person and, and it's lift them, you know, through intent. So, you know, the, that's what really got me excited when I found out that this was something that happened on a regular basis, that I could begin to count on them, and I began to realize that I could tune into people and hear them. Mm-hmm. And this happened fairly quickly, but this didn't happen. I mean, I was doing this group in my apartment from around the time I was, gosh, 31, I'm 57 now. And the realizing that I could step into people probably didn't kick in until I was, you know, in my early 40s, you know, it was much later. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm comfortable with it, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, there, there's downsides to it. I don't love feeling. I was reading for somebody yesterday, and I kept getting pain in my in the knuckles on my left hand. And I said, do you have arthritis? And she didn't. And then later she asked about her husband, and I got the pain in my hand again. And I, and I said, does he have the arthritis? She said, yeah, like it's, yeah, that was him. Hmm. And she said, no, the moment you said it the first time, he had just walked through the room. I was on the phone with her. Wow. So I was picking up his pain. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's only valuable as it relates to being able to sort of prove something out or support somebody in a healing. You know, I don't feel, I have friends who are, who are good mediums and, 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 you know, very successful psychics who won't step in. You know, they'll do it all from a level of observation. Mm-hmm. 
and they're always picking up the information, you know, visually, clairaudiently. And for me, it really is about becoming in a strange way, just as the guides I work with step into me and I'm, you know, the radio that they play through if I'm tuning into you or to your, you know, your parents or your kid or whatever, then I, that's the radio station that I'm tuning into and playing through me. Mm-hmm. And that's, it feels like it's a bit of an honor, truthfully, to do that. It's amazing to have all these different experiences of, of being alive. I mean, the, the bad news is that I remember much of it after the fact, but at the time, it's, it's really intriguing. But you still re- retain it in your, you still ran the energy, so you retain it in your overall vibration, at least yeah. in offering. So that's pretty cool. It, I do. If- and, and you also, and I'm sure you know this, but you know, you build up your own vocabulary mm-hmm. yes. when you read. Right. So different things mean different things each time you feel it. It mm-hmm. used to be when I first started as a healer, I, I had words that meant things, you know, like there was one word that already always meant the same thing. And I would hear the word, I would know what it meant and know how to attend to it. Now, a lot of what I get is gesture, mm-hmm. you know, and that visual, visual, you know, there's different, different, different um, images for different paths that people are on. Some people are on the water slide. Some people are walking across, you know, very carefully placed flagstones, one step in front of the other. Some people are climbing up a mountain with a pickaxe. But it really tends to be very helpful in understanding how somebody is moving through their experience here and perhaps then how they might be able to be helped. Now, I, I've heard you talk about, like you mentioned a moment ago, that there, when the person did the kind of slanderous thing, the, the really mean thing, uh, trolling you, and you were, you um, had, yeah, the guides were coming through with the sort of British accent, and I think I've heard you talk about that every now and again, the collective that you are sensing shifts, and so how, did, did, how often do you feel the shifting or really know that there's a different set of consciousnesses or makeup of the energy of the collective? The ones that I'm channeling, you mean the guys sure. that I'm channeling, or or, re- or that who are informing you to for reading or, or any sake. I guess maybe let's start with like for the books. Do they stay sort of the same collective throughout an entire book or an entire yeah. trilogy? Oh or? yeah, yeah, yeah. There's mm-hmm. only one book that had a different torque to it. I mean, for the most part, it's all very consistent, and that's why I trust it. I trust the energy as it moves through me, and I trust the vocabulary. You know, sometimes the accent is present, sometimes it's not. Sometimes the accent, I think, comes through to override my resistance because mm-hmm. I really trust that one well. Mm-hmm. And that one actually has such a great use of language that it's fun to sort of, you know, ride it. It's like surfing with that, with that energy when it comes through. But when you see the books in print, they're all extraordinarily consistent. Mm-hmm. And I think there's eight books now. I don't believe that they've contradicted themselves yet. Um, somebody may find a contradiction somewhere, but I, I don't recall it. Um, but there was the Book of Truth, which was the um, fifth book that was dictated. That was a very different dictation. Um, I was still doing the dictation. Some of it was done on the phone. I was dictating the books. I was recording it, but there was always somebody listening. There has to be an active listener when I work. I can't do it mm-hmm. in a room alone. Now there's you know 50 or 100 people in the room when I'm doing it, and that's fun because you know it's very focused to they're teachers and they're teaching the group, but they were doing this book. They did a big chunk of it at the Esalen Institute. It was called the Book of Truth. And um, the dictation was so slow and careful and methodical. I really felt like somebody was sitting in a chair beside me reading off the pages to me as they were, you know, <laughs> very, very, just so simple. But the difference was that guide used the word deers 
which is one of my least favorite words. It's like, <laughs> we would like to tell you dears. And I'm going, oh, no, dears, where's this coming from? <laughs> and I haven't heard it much since. Once in a while in a lecture, I'll, I'll hear it crop up and I'll be a little surprised. But the I, I don't, I mean, I've seen one of them, you know, on, on multiple occasions. I have a very clear sense of the visual presence at this point. But other people, I have, you know, clairvoyants come to my workshops and they see a bunch of folks standing behind me. And, you know, somebody even recently said they saw them all taking bows you know, after a workshop or a reading. It might have been a book event because it's their book, you know, <laughs> they can take the bow. <laughs> I have this very odd experience of having my name on the cover of all these books that I didn't write. <laughs> and I don't really take credit for. I'm happy they're in the world, but I don't feel creative ownership. It's but, rather like having given birth to somebody else's child. It's, yeah, so well, you still had to nurture it, and you, you consented to it, and you did yeah. have creative process. You allowed it to come through the the form that you're creating at this time, so <laughs> I can just validate yeah, you a little bit. I'm present for it. I can, <laughs> yeah. I can call myself a collaborator, sure. but I don't can't call myself the author in the way that I might have if I... I wrote the introduction to two of the books, and I felt very good about that. I actually sat down and wrote something. <laughs> you know, that made it into print. But that's not my experience other than the channeling right now. Maybe someday I'll do my own. So the the one, vo the voice or the, so it, does it feel like it's a particularly uh, an individual inside the collective that is using the British accent or it's sort of like how that's co the collective comes through? It, I, I don't even know anymore. Yeah, right. Know, <laughs> uh, the, this, the, it was the second book. It was the very last chapter of the first book. Uh -huh. Um, I am the word and they were probably just so happy that it actually happened and I made it through to the ending because no, I wasn't expecting this to mean anything, let alone be published, although they said it would. Um, that was the first time the tinge of the accent was there and it was this very joyful broadcast of this guy would like to speak in, in musical metaphors, which mm -hmm. is very much a part of all of the books at this point. Mm -hmm second book the accent started to appear and i was in a low place when it happened um you know a relationship with a friend had ended badly and i mm. didn't want to channel another book and victoria nelson who'd been on the phone for the first one had said i'm going to just call you and we'll talk about when we start the next book mm. and she called me and i picked up the phone and the guy had said we're starting now and they begin to dictate that morning and they didn't stop and it was a 500 page manuscript it was long but the recordings for that book are nutty because one day it sounded like a welsh accent the next day you know edinburgh the next day you know i was crazy and i heard somebody once because i don't read the comments about my stuff anymore but at the beginning i did after the first book after there was some video up on me and some guy wrote there were two things i liked like somebody said this guy's working much too hard to be faking it, which I appreciated, you know. <laughs> I would find a much more elegant process where I look much better doing what I do if I could, but I clearly haven't been able to yet. And the other, somebody else said, watching Paul Selling Channel is like taking a trip across the British Isles. And I thought, that's funny because that's what it felt like. But the guide who, and he was coming through when I was just doing these groups in my apartment, mm -hmm. or sort of, I think after the first book was dictated, but I would always go, oh, phew, the one with the one with the British accent is here. He's how I experience him. Mm -hmm. And I've asked at times, you know, does the accent come through in order to make a distinction for me between Paul and the guides? And I actually heard, no, this is how we speak. This mm. is how we come through you. And I just go, okay, well, I'll, 
I'll live with that. Mm -hmm. But I experience it as a collective. And for the most part, they always say we Mm -hmm. once in a while in a workshop or in a book, they'll come, I'll get a big eye. And when I get the eye, it's big stuff. Mm. Like then it's like, it's a little like Oz the Great and Terrible. It's like, whoa, what is this now? (laughs) But, you know, it's, um, they don't, you know, they don't, I'm not big on names, you know, and I I, I find that people get a little overly attached to the names and people are, you know, sometimes channeling, you know, all the archangels and it's like the whole, this whole litany of library of, of beings. And I'm uncomfortable with some of that, you know, mm-hmm. because it can move into a kind of, of attachment to narrative. Right. But I don't think it's a bad thing to know who you're talking to. You know, I think sure. that's all valuable. But I, I remember I was in a workshop. It was, at, again, at the Esalen Institute. And there was a young man there. And it was a, it was not a, a terrible thing that he reported. But he had been, I think, ostracized in his town for being illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Something you expect to happen anymore in this day and age but he had been and the guide spoke to him directly and it was like i am melchizedek and i am outright it was like what the heck is this same thing happened i was doing a workshop in what had been i think a mon it was a convent or monastery it was now like some artist collective in the bay area and the guide said we would like to take you farther then we can we but we're not able to because some of you have an investment in this idea of original sin and i wasn't Mm -hmm. raised catholic so i don't even know what it means but it turned out you know three quarters of the room was catholic and there was a a nun in the room too in the workshop um but then i got the eye again Mm -hmm. and sort of and i and, and i don't know if that comes for a dramatic effect i don't know if it comes to make a point to meet but people I, where they are and and, and what, how, how they'll yes. be able to hear it, right? Exactly. That's uh-huh. that makes more sense than anything I would have said. So thank you. <laughs> of course. Uh, well, I find that, and so Melchizedek has come through, and actually Melchizedek would probably, from a certain perspective, be interpreted as a collective too, because it's a priesthood. Exactly. So it's, it's not, a priesthood, even that's though how it's experienced them. Yeah. yeah, and it's an individual in in the Torah or the Old Testament of the Bible, but yeah. it's more from extending from that a, a priesthood or a, a big collective. So yeah. it's very interesting. Do you, and so the, well, actually I'll, I'll just shift gears a little bit and let's uh, talk a little bit about some of the, uh, the one thing I want to talk about is all of the musical metaphors. Cause this, I resonate not to <laughs> pardon the pun resonate <laughs> with profoundly for part part of the reason is because I am a, I have I studied music for 15 years my husband is a composer and when uh-huh. I sort of had my awakening that's how I could start to, I could accept it and and release some of the stigma that had been received from social conditioning and you mm-hmm. know and, and so it all just makes so much sense I just love it so much do you have a musical background do you understand you know no, not it, really I mean I like to sing you mm-hmm. know when I was a kid mm-hmm. I was in the school musicals and I was in chorus for a minute but no I don't have that vocabulary. Um, I mean, the guys speak about octaves, and they Mm -hmm. say everything is in tone, everything is in vibration. Mm -hmm. Our shared reality, they call an octave of experience with high loads and no loads, Mm -hmm. you know, highs and lows. And they Mm -hmm. say what their work is, is transposing the music of who and what we are and the manifest world to the next octave up, which Mm -hmm. they call the upper room more. You know, the times they've called it Christ mind. Mm. They say it's the next octave. Everything exists, they say, in multiple octaves. Any song can be sung into infinity. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't necessarily hear it with your 
your ears, but it can still play. And that's the work that they do, and that's the vocabulary. It may just be that I flunked science or I got a D or something. You know, I don't. <laughs> they don't talk about dimensions through me, and I've never read. I don't read much of anybody's stuff. I've never read the new physics. I've heard some of what the guides teach is in alignment with that, with mm -hmm. string theory. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't define what that was for you because I'm I'm fairly ignorant. It's kind of good to stay ignorant because then it feels more authentic, you know. That's my feeling. When too, you happen yeah. upon it, yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that Christ mind because the Christ consciousness is essentially the way that my guides or guides have been speaking mm -hmm. to me is uh, that the, they've been using the word Christ light a lot and allowing mm -hmm. that to become more of you because cr yeah. the Christ consciousness or the Christ figure, Christ concept is the divine becoming physical. It is that journey. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, so the upper room is as the, the, um, the mirrored higher octave, you, you might say, you know, the, the yeah. next, the, the middle sea up to the high sea. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Say it's where the true self, the mm -hmm. Christ itself, the divine self, the eternal, whatever you want to call it, that is the abode of that aspect of self that is seeking realization as and through us. And they're lifting the entirety of us or teaching us how to do that, to operate at that level mm -hmm. of vibration, which they say is, is the other octave. It's the octave above, yes. And it is quite eloquent to use musical metaphors because we already use the word universe, which basically means one song. So, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, great. think of the you know uni and verse. That's that's uh -huh. what that is. So, it makes Good. a lot of sense. I mean, the other way to describe it, I think, would be with light because that's also a vibratory frequency. But I think mm -hmm. we have much more commonly and a, a more innate or um, natural sort of understanding, a learned understanding of music just because we all we all enjoy music in whatever way that we do. And light is mm -hmm. a little bit something, I, I don't know, we don't we do not do much with light, not nearly as much I with agree. light, you know? Yeah. We don't have vocabulary for light. I'm with you there. I mean, I, I get it. I have a dear friend who's an old-time spiritual medium, you know, and she's all about light, 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 light. Mm -hmm. And I and I think she's great, and I send people to her all the time, you know, because she's teaching them in, in the old-school stuff. But for me, I do tend to understand sound and vibration mm -hmm. a little bit more easily. And I don't know if that's why they teach me, or I'm just a little, you know, a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> Well, what what I think it, it like I say it's something that we all kind of really understand because everyone enjoys music to some degree. And uh -huh. if you, you think about the way that we know, for example, Jesus to have taught was he gave us examples in nature because everyone understands nature even if they're not a farmer. Exactly. And so it's it's accessible to us. It's it's something that we know and feel and and live and it's it's really a holistic experience that we that doesn't take doesn't actually require learning. It, it's really the remembering state because it's already there for us. I think. Uh -huh. Yeah. One thing that I, I in oh actually let, let's talk a little bit more um, pointedly about Beyond the Known Realization. That is the book that has just been released about a couple two three weeks ago from the time of this being released this broadcast. And one particular phrase that just really stood out to me was the guide saying, "While the body is in density." And and that just it really stuck out to me. And so the process, I mean, the body is density is a dense part of the whole being. But this idea, I guess, of the, the body in density, can it also be moved into the upper room? Yeah. 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 That's okay. What they're teaching. Yeah. They're teaching, I mean, you know, they're teaching the word made flesh. That's mm. what they're teaching. And they say the word is is the energy of the creator, the action of the creator. That's mm -hmm. who we all truly are. And um, 
you know, they say, I'll see if I can get some more light on me, forgive me. Um, That's all right. They're saying that, you know, we come from this inherited paradigm where if there is a God, it's up there in the clouds and we're here in the mud. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is this belief in separation that they're, they're moving us beyond. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, God is also the mud. It's also, you know, your brain. It's also your blood. It's also, you know, everything. It's the pimple. It's, you know, the toenail. It's everything else, mm-hmm. too. It's one. It's all, they say, God, whatever we call God. They say there's one note being played in the entire universe. It's just being articulated in different ways. Mm-hmm. So they talk about a lot about the what, the claims they make. You know, I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I know what I am is the claim of form, Mm -hmm. the manifestation of the divine as form. And actually, when you work with that, it's usually quite palpable. When I do workshops, the guides have people work with it. They'll have people stand five feet away from each other and claim it for the person opposite them. I know what you are in truth. And then you can feel what they call the echo. They say what you bless blesses you in return. You can feel the waves of energy responding from that. And this is what the guides are teaching, is how to lift what we've known in density to the higher octave. And you do that through the, the realization of the inherent divine that they say is and must be in all things. You know, you can't have God just in the happy places. It must be all things. I'm kind of stunned right now because right before I came to do this broadcast with you today, my uh, my best friend and, and, and collaborator, business partner, her name's Crystal Ann Compton, and I were divining together, devising a workshop that is upcoming. And what you just described that happens in your workshops, we it, almost to a letter decided mm-hmm. to do where yeah. one person stands up actually with the claim that may what would we call the contrast or the shadow where they're saying I am always sick and then mm-hmm. another stands up and claims for them in an I am statement I am whole and mm-hmm. then we all mm-hmm. repeat it at, together that's pretty mm-hmm. that's amazing <laughs> I yeah. think this is some spiritual technology that is is really important you know or it's kind of yeah. overriding the antiquated technology of some dogmatic systems that are obviously I, I failing us it is. Yeah. you know i agree i mean when they started to talk about this which was in um i think it was in the book of truth and the book of freedom is where they really began to sort of deconstruct the idea of form mm-hmm. now they're talking about alchemy and the rearticulation of matter in yes. in what's their eighth book and that'll be out next summer um, they're, they're really pushing the envelope on this. But I think, you know, truth is truth, and we're all getting it in perhaps different vocabularies mm-hmm. that can be supportive of those who, you know, we're, we're, we're there to be in service of. One of the most profound, and I would say for, oh, I hate to categorize it with a hierarchical language, but important, I'll just go ahead and say it for lack of better way to highlight mm-hmm. it, is that you cannot be a master and a victim at the same time. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. How true is that? It is so true, and yeah. that can snap you right into at least the observer position to observe who is the master and the victim so that you can yeah. be the, the neutron rather than the electron or the proton, and mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a place of power. But between the victim and the master is really a journey anyway. That's what we're here doing. Yeah. I mean, when they brought that teaching through, when that was in the Book of Mastery, I was in an awful state. I had just, you know, my dog had just died. Mm. I'd gotten slandered. I had thrown my back out. I couldn't walk. I didn't know if I was going to need surgery. And it was everything, you know, my apartment building gotten sold. I had a, you know, it was crazy. Mm. And then I sit down with ice packs down my shirt, you know, 
to do this dictation and they say you can't be a victim and a master at the same time i was like oh brother Mm. and in retrospect i was getting a whole lot of lessons in that period about having to move beyond you know how i had self-identified through my experience Mm. and um I suppose I continue to get them, but it's a big teaching. And I do think you're right. It is one of the things that we come to, you know, through a process of, of recognition of who we truly are. And we can't do that if we're blaming other people or, mm. you know, it just doesn't work then, you know, you right. can't get to do both. You know, the guides say again and again and again, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. You just yes. can't do it. That's the law of resonance. It's not possible. You know, yeah. whatever it is that you recognize, you are it. You everything is just you pushed out, and mm-hmm. and uh, also from from uh, the book is nothing can be released until it is known, and that yeah. can't we all see that? And if if it is not if it is not known, then it be, it gets louder and brighter and stinkier, whatever it has to be in order to be known to be released. Great. Ma- really major. And then another, an extension of that is nothing can be renown until it is first considered at the level of vibration that it has claimed it, claimed for itself. This is all from the book, y'all. I'm just do- quoting a little bit. Really potent, powerful stuff. Almost to where you, I, I want to read all of it, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's um, reminiscent of when I was sort of uh, many years ago, in an, in an earlier stage of my development and I would be reading Eckhart Tolle, you know, um, The Power of Now, and I would almost feel frustrated because I could feel it, but I couldn't learn it entirely yet with that little mind. That little mind wanted to, wanted to, you yeah. know, really be able to have have kind of like a know-it-all a sense of it but it really mm-hmm. but I, I actually didn't read it again for 15 years but it bubbles uh-huh. up in me because it's there and I, I could even yeah. every now and again I even quote it and I'm like whoa that's mm-hmm. weird I haven't read that for so up for mm-hmm. so long but this is the work that they're channeling through you I think it's mm-hmm. so potent so powerful it is what it is you know <laughs> that's all I know all right. Well, uh, we are just about out of time. Is there is there anything else you would like to share? I, I, I want to encourage everyone. Kurt has put up on the screen a picture of the book. It's it's on Audible. It's on Kindle, and it's in hard copy. From you can find it on Amazon, and I highly recommend it as well as all of other Paul's books and also his subscription. Sir, he has um, a Students of the Guides. I am a part of it now. You do this every uh, every Wednesday. Every Wednesday night, just about every week. Yeah, mm-hmm. the guides lecture, and then they take questions. And- and they, they work with the energy. I'm told it's as palpable online as it is in a, a live workshop. Definitely. But yeah, it's the ongoing laboratory for this work. I love it. Anything else you would like to share with everyone before we sign off today? No, thank you for having me. It oh, was it's, nice speaking. It's you. entirely my pleasure. It. It's my honor. And thank you to the work that you do. Thank you to the guides who supported this uh, work and in general. And Paula Selig, uh, what an honor. Thank you again and uh, many blessings to you. Until you. Good night. And everyone, thank you for joining this episode of Charmed Life. Please do like, share, comment, because what a powerful experience this has been. And I would love to hear what you have to say and go check out the work that is coming through Paul Selig. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. I love you, whoever you are. Mm-hmm.